Whether you keep them in your home or love to see them in theirs, these are the creatures that bring us all together. Reptiles. reptiles. We're going to be delving into the experiences of reptile lovers from around the block and around the world. This is the Reptile Talk Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Jeremy Turgeon from Brassman Reptiles. And I'm Rob, and I'm creeping it real. So this is going to be a super fun episode because while we're recording, uh, we're also recording live on Instagram. On Instagram! And uh, we had a little bit of a Q&A. We're going to be chatting with our Instagram audience today. Um, hopefully, Instagram, uh, the Instagram update was real, and uh, there's no time limit. Yeah. Other- otherwise, it will end very abruptly for them, and uh, I apologize in Can advance. But uh, if you're not already, make sure you're following us on uh, Instagram at reptile.talk. And um, and you can see random stuff like this. And make sure that you follow us on OnlyFans.com. We have got an OnlyFans account for Reptile Talk. It's OnlyFans.com slash Reptile Talk. And what we'll be doing is we'll be sharing some behind-the-scenes stuff, some footage, some little clips and things of me and Jeremy doing sound checks. And uh, some of the projects that we're working on, when we're hatching out babies, we're going to post them there before we post them on social media. So it's kind of like a little behind-the-scenes little community. We're actually going to be posting some polls up on there, too. So if you want to help us choose what what our next episode is for just us, or if you have suggestions for people who you'd like to see on the show, uh, join us on OnlyFans, and you can throw in the hat right in there. Bam. So so today... Tonight. Tonight. This evening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, our viewers have taken a vote yes. here on Instagram, so we're going to be talking about uh, the, the, some of the differences between keeping a smaller scale collection versus a larger scale collection. So... Uh, just to kind of give some parameters or ideas, a small scale collection. Uh, what are we saying? I'd say anything wise. under like maybe thirty or fifty. Okay. A- anything under that is generally considered like a smaller scale. Like you might be the weird reptile person in your town, but <laughs> as as far as like reptile community goes, a lot of people, uh, you know, either they've got, you know, ten reptiles or they've got. 150 or 200 reptiles. It's like, there's not a lot of people that are in between. You know, hey, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Um, So there's, uh, also the funny part about this is it's literally like Rob's collection next to my collection. Yeah. I mean, I have like a medium-sized collection. Yeah. But I have three times as many snakes as Rob that's, does. That's and that's that's literal. Yes, literally. That, that is also he counted. Very that's we, the the capital rule. If you have a large collection, don't count actual numbers. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah, I uh, did only because my entire set of baby bins was full. Was full, and, and I was like, very oh, nervous because that right there was ninety drawers, and I was like. <sighs> Hey, there's more snakes than just that in this room. How many more are there? There was a lot more, guys. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So many snakes. Oh, man. So... I think it's it's fair to say if uh, if you're just getting started in keeping reptiles, you're gonna have a small collection yeah. unless you magically end up taking over somebody's collection if if something ever happens, which is never That's really the tough. greatest idea. It's really tough. Um, so. I know for, for me personally, when I first started keeping reptiles, I grew my collection pretty quickly, but I kind of hovered around the 20 to 30 animals for a while. Um, and I mean, the biggest thing is, is the time commitment yes. right up front. You know, I mean, it was really easy. I mean, back then I kept everything in tanks, but it was really easy Oof. to, I mean, no, the olden days. The I, olden I, days. trust me, I remember I, that was me. That yeah. was me. Um, so you know, I mean, that that was probably the most time-consuming part of cage maintenance, was yep. taking a the screen cages. lid off, yeah. moving lights, all that stuff, trying to get into the cage. I remember having, like, a big 55-gallon tank for, mm-hmm. like, one of my, like, I had, like, this monster ball python mm-hmm. that I had in this 55-gallon tank. But it was also on the top level of this rack, so I had to get on a ladder all the time to, like, oh, get up in it. It's horrible. A 55 horrible. on... On a yeah. stand? Oh, oh, dude, we I I got one of those um like town fair tire tire racks, so like those heavy duty industrial ones. Oh I got it for God. free, oh. and like moved that into my snake room, mm-hmm. and I had all it fit everything. Yeah, it was it was perfect, <laughs> um except for that one cage. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm much happier with the rack systems for yeah. sure. But uh, the time commitment was was certainly the the biggest difference, you know, then compared to now. Even though it doesn't take me much uh, time-wise to get through what I have. Um, 
to be able to do everything needed in that room in an hour, hour and a half, uh, is certainly much easier when you throw in the rest of life's ordeals, you know, yeah. like school and part-time job and whatever. Um, now it's like a whole day yeah. of mine yeah. gets kind of thrown away. <laughs> uh, but of course, I it's it's not. I mean, it's not truly thrown away because I enjoy it, and I'm I'm not just doing cage maintenance. You know, I'm I'm talking with people on social media. I'm posting pictures on Instagram or Facebook, and then people are asking me questions. Um, so there's that interaction that happens too, and it ends up taking a, a large portion of the day. Um, but it's definitely hard because throughout the week. I'm still coming in and taking care of my stuff too, making sure things have water and all that stuff. So working a full-time job and then coming to work essentially another full-time, full-time job, job um, is a is a big thing to take into consideration as you're growing your collection because um, it adds up quick. And when it you really fall does. behind, you fall behind. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's not really fair uh, for the animals because, you know, you got to figure – uh, they are, you're their sole source of care. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, one of the things that people kind of idolize and people really um, look up to or want to do is like, I want to have like a full snake room. I want to have like a full reptile room without, you know, really considering how much of their time is going to go into, you know, taking care of these animals and changing waters and, you know, doing full enclosure cleans, you know, periodically. And because you know, a lot of people will spot clean and it's easier to do with certain species and all that sort of stuff. But you got to do full cleans every now and again, where you just like take everything out, scrub it all down, you know, bleach it, do whatever you got to do, chlorhexidine. And that is a very, very time consuming. Uh, and, you know, having a big collection of reptiles is very interesting because you get to see a variety of different uh, reptiles. But it is also a huge, huge, huge commitment. And going from looking at a small collection of reptiles or someone might have, you know, 10 animals or, or whatever, or, you know, even just like five animals. If you've got five animals that you're putting all of your time and resources into, you know, if they flip their water dish, that's easy because you're, you're not <laughs> stretched thin for time. When, when you've got 100 animals and 10 of them flip their water dishes, now you've got 10 full enclosure cleans that you've got to do mm-hmm. on top of making sure that everybody else has water, everyone else is getting fed, everyone else is getting spot clean. So it's something that you definitely have to take into consideration. And a lot of people, you know, it, it doesn't come up as the first thing that you think about when you think about a big size reptile collection uh you know and once you get over 50 animals it can very easily be a full day of cleaning like full from the time (laughs) that you wake up and go into your reptile room until you're getting ready to go to dinner and and settle down for the day it could be a full day of cleaning if you've got those numbers of animals where sometimes there's no dinner uh, Yeah, sometimes, a lot of times, there's no dinner. It's just you collapse at the end of the day. (laughs) You lay down and you're like, that was satisfying, but man, I'm tired. Yep, exactly. Gone. Out for the count. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) And and that's just something that you have to take into consideration. And and, uh, I feel like that's something that doesn't get talked about as much. Like, people are starting to talk about more. If you've got a large collection, you might see illness more frequently. You might see weird things. Like, uh, I've had people contact me and they're like what is this weird growth on my animal i'm like oh it might looks kind of like cancer like i'm not a vet but (laughs) that looks like a cancerous tumor that has grown and expanded and you know you probably should take it to a vet and the odds of that happening if you've got four animals probably not that high right you know it might happen but it probably isn't all that high if you've got 300 animals the chances that you're going to see cancer at some point probably it's going to happen. Like yeah. it's, I wouldn't doubt that it's going to happen, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm just, I'm checking the chat. So people in our Instagram chat, I've opened it up. So if, if anybody wants to ask us questions on this topic, they can. And uh, Jessica Garrett has asked, uh, would you say more people start small, not necessarily intending to get large and gradually change, or more often people have a plan to execute the plan and become large? Um, I think at least from what I've seen over the years, it's, it's most people, they, they, they get into it, not necessarily with an intention to get large scale. Um, but like most people start off with ball pythons. So they get like one or two 
and then they get hit with the breeder bug, mm-hmm. and then they start to get a few more, and they get really excited about those, and um, before they know it, they've got thirty or forty snakes. Yes, um, you know, and or more in some cases. I, I've seen some people literally go from zero snakes to one hundred and fifty snakes in six months' time, and uh, you know, I yeah, not That's anything stressful. I recommend. Yeah, not anything That's I recommend stressful. at all. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and so I think that's that's usually the way it goes. Or you get the person that like they just get like a bearded dragon, and yeah. they're like, I just want this cool pet because it's it's a pet for me. It's yeah. going to be my pet. And uh, you know, they might get one or two other reptiles along the way because they like them, um, and that's about it. And uh, so it, I generally see that more often happening now mm-hmm. as things have kind of shifted to like the bioactive big huge enclosure kind of deal like most people don't have space for a bunch of four by two by two enclosures yeah um you know so i see a lot more people kind of doing that but of course there's still the people who like i said um with you know they get bit by the the breeder bug with ball pythons and then they get a couple rack systems and they have a bunch of snakes um you know the, the irritating thing when i see that happen is uh, more often than not, they, they just don't understand that commitment of yep. time. Yeah. And then they start asking for help. They start like, uh, 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 I don't have, and like, it's like, well, you don't have the time, but you, you don't even know what the time commitment is. Yeah. Like you've yeah. never had to invest it. So, you know, it literally means you have to make personal sacrifices to do what you want to do. You know, I, I think back on my own journey, keeping a, a larger scale collection, um, literally being like, no, guys, I can't hang out today because I got to feed snakes. A lot of times. You know, and yeah. then I, your friends get mad at you. I used you know? to tell my friends, look, if you want to hang out, you can come over while I feed snakes. And I, luckily, my friends were like, yeah, fuck it, why not? Let's do it. So yeah. they would like hang out at my house while I was feeding snakes. And, you know, they, they kind of let me do my thing. But a <laughs> lot of people are not cool like that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. I mean, I had... I had a lot of band friends mm-hmm. in high school, so they're like a couple of them would be like, "Yeah, cool, we'll hang out, we'll do some snake stuff, whatever." But most of them were like, "No, nah, man, nah. we want to go like hang, like yeah. let's go to the Big E, or we, you know, we want to go do X, Y, Z." And I'm like, "I don't have the time. Yeah, I can't Sorry, do that. you know." Yeah. Um, and I always had my stuff like on a pretty solid schedule, so like Thursday was always my cleaning day, mm-hmm. and everybody would want to do something on a Thursday, and I'm like, "God." guys like Sorry. i can't do it you can't know um so you know i mean it, you have to make those sacrifices so that's that's probably the one thing when somebody gets a massive collection really quickly that irritates me uh because more often than not they're not aware or prepared um for that time commitment and then they immediately just start seeking out help and then it's like well i mean what what have you ever done on your own <clears throat> you know you you have to you have to do something. You have to understand this a little bit, you know, especially if you're then trying to breed. Yeah. You know, like the number of animals you have is not going to get smaller. <laughs> yeah. As soon as those babies start poking out their heads out of those eggs, that is more time commitment Yeah. for, for that. So it's like, whew, it is, it's something that you definitely have to take into consideration. And then one of the major things that I think about is feeding bill, your feeding bill for yep. those animals that you're interested in getting because they're not going to just feed themselves. You have to buy <laughs> the food to take care of those animals. And, you know, for certain snakes, you know, it might not be a crazy high feeding bill. You know, bloods and short tails, they don't eat a ton. You can feed them a ton, but realistically, they're not probably meant to eat a ton all the time. Yeah. Uh, but if you got baby corn snakes now, you know, you hatch out 30 or 40 corn snakes, you know, one or two clutches. Now you've got 40 mouths that got to eat every five to seven days, minimum. Like, yep. they need it. They're little shoelaces. They need they it. They need it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you really have to stay on top of that and consider that. I got a lot of people who are like, I want to breed things. And I'm like, just think about the feeding bill before you try to sell them. Because yeah. just to get them to the point where you have to sell or you're going to try and sell them, you're going to have to probably put a couple hundred dollars of food into your clutch. Yeah, or litter, at least, or yeah. whatever you're producing, you're gonna have to put a decent amount of money up front just to be able to sell them. So that's something that a lot of people don't even think about. Like they're just like, I want to breed them, and it's like it's more than just that. It's more than just that, yeah. yeah. And uh, I think Jessica just just chimed in with another comment that I think is is really solid. She says, "I believe the hobby is getting very large very quickly in the past few years, especially with the exp- expanding of herpers, breeders, and enthusiasts." 
Um, I it's lost. getting big too quick. It. Yeah, it's getting big, getting big too quick. Um, I I do I don't think it's getting too big too quick. I think we're just seeing the expansion uh, more publicly <clears throat> because I if I think back from like I don't know I got my first snake 16 years ago. So if I think about <clears throat> MySpace, mm. <laughs> you know, ain't nobody on MySpace talking about, look how many snakes I have, no. you know. But that doesn't mean a bunch of people weren't getting into snakes. It was certainly, like, nobody was going out buying a banana ball python 16 no. years ago, no. you know, in your local neighborhood for the most part. Um, but, you know, now the average prices for reptiles has, has come down quite, quite a bit. bit. Um and the world is literally controlled by social media, you know. So we, all the time, we see breeders, you know, that that are are just out there doing doing their thing, and and not to you know not to downplay any any of them at all, um, you know. But like if I think about some immediate people that I was just like going through scrolling through videos today, Billy at Mutation Creation, uh, Miguel at Always Evolving Pythons. Um, of course, Brian Barczyk. Mm. Um, then, of course, you've got us at, at Nerd. You know, you think about all all these guys from from varying levels. You know, I don't think Miguel Miguel's got a, a decent sized collection, a couple hundred snakes, yeah. I think. Billy's got a, 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 around a thousand or so, um, and then obviously Barczyk's got like five thousand snakes, and we're we're a bit more than that. yeah, probably <laughs> that. much more than that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but um, like those are just uh, literally just four names of people that are showcasing what they're doing for in any context from breeding and, and producing really cool ball pythons to showing and trying to educate people about a, a multitude of different species. But we see it so much now. It's way easier for somebody to be like, oh man, like that snake is really cool because YouTube's right at our fingertips. Yeah. Instagram's right at our fingertips, yeah. you know. Um, so it'd be like, oh man, like that snake's cool. I want, what is it called again? Go back in the video, and figure out what it's it. called and then go find it. You yeah. know, and you're like, oh, it's only 300 bucks. That's, that's not too bad. I got yeah. that for my birthday, you yeah. know, like, and then they have an animal, you know, um, which is cool in one regard because it's cool at how easy, easily accessible the, uh, the hobby has become. It's not as taboo as it was 20 years ago to the general public. Yes. Um, but you know, I mean, it's very similar to like what what I deal with when teaching music is like man like you don't understand what even the people who came before my generation and the generation before that had to learn they had to go to a record store pray yeah. to god that record store had that record in stock and then you had to purchase it it wasn't cheap then you'd have to go and play it you there was nothing to slow player, down yeah. the music mm -hmm. if you were trying to learn something you had to learn it at full tempo uh, if you tried to slow down a record on a record player it changed the key Mm. of the music so mm. <laughs> so it didn't work yeah you know versus now you're like oh i heard about this artist i want to check out their new record youtube yeah. spotify pandora and it's like bam it's right there and they've got it with no vocals slowed down they got somebody yeah. who's doing a thing a tutorial on how to play it yep, and you're like, exactly and you're like and then then it's like why don't want to practice god it's yeah. so easy now yeah. you know yeah. what i mean so it's like same thing for reptiles you know like you buy a ball python, you want to start breeding ball pythons, but you literally have no understanding of ball pythons other than what you see I see that a online. lot. Yeah, people people just get into it and they're like, I like this pretty snake, I got this other snake, I'm going to breed them. And then they contact us and they're like, well, what did I hatch out? And I'm like, well, you didn't you didn't research any of that? You yeah. didn't do any research at all? Yep. You just want me to tell you? Yeah, mm, exactly. That's not good. No. Not good. Nope. Um, I think that the, the hobby in general is going in a, a more positive direction uh, for the sole reason that as it's growing and becoming more, or sorry, less, as it's becoming less taboo, uh, it appeals to a wider audience of, of people. And when you've got that wider audience of people, it's less likely to get um, kind of squashed out. Like right now, uh, animal rights activists and, and people who are like in PETA and stuff like that, they really, really, really want to regulate against the exotic animal community. I'm using heavy yeah. air quotes right there uh, because they're exotic and they belong in the wild. Um, and they really have been pushing a lot of regulation to try and ban 
you know, reptiles and amphibians, and uh, they've succeeded in, in, you know, in a couple different fashion of, of bringing regulations up that have got consideration from the federal government. Yeah. And some of it hasn't passed, and then they've been working on some things that have passed. And the more people that are involved in the community as a whole, the harder it'll be for people like PETA to push through those regulations. Because if lawmakers and the government, um, if they don't know anyone who keeps reptiles, they're going to go, ugh, a snake, ugh, get rid of it. Like, uh, why does anyone want to keep a snake anyway? <laughs> when I went to the <clears throat> main uh, I was involved in the state of Maine going to their uh, Inland Fisheries and Wildlife Department uh, as they were trying to change their regulations up there. And literally, they their reasoning for not wanting to allow more species of snakes because Maine has got such heavy restrictions on it's exotics. It's crazy. Uh, but their main reason, like when I asked them, why why can't I have like – uh, I, at the time, I wanted to have my Spilotes, my tiger rat snakes. I wanted to bring them from Massachusetts where they're legal and like every other state around where they're legal. <laughs> I, I just want to bring that legal snake in every other state to Maine with me. And I, they were like, you can already have snakes. Why are you even complaining right now? Because you can have a corn snake and a ball python. And I'm like, that is not, That's not the, the same. That's not the same. <laughs> and, and they just like they don't understand at all. And uh, that's another thing that you got to think of if you're looking at having a smaller collection or a bigger collection is legality for where you are. Because, uh, you know, in I think it was in Massachusetts. I can't even remember who told me this. I think it was like Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like, did you know that in the state of Massachusetts, if you have more than four of the same animal, you're legally considered an animal hoarder? And I was like, well, they probably shouldn't know how many Borneos I've got because I've got like <laughs> 30 of them. Um, but leg- legally speaking, if you've got a large collection, that is something that could be brought up. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's not likely to get brought up, but theoretically it could get brought up against you. And, and different counties have different ordinances. Like there's certain places like uh, in the five boroughs in New York where you can't have like pythons mm-hmm. and then you can't have scorpions there. And it's like, if you didn't know, if you just moved there and you had your pet and you move or, you know, you've got your small collection and you move there, you could become a criminal overnight. And it's yeah. like because you've got a couple pet snakes, you know, and it's, it's just ridiculous. So that's something that you have to take into consideration, whether you have a very diverse collection or even just a couple animals. You know, you should always look into the regulations in the area where you live. Because yeah. that does play a huge role in, uh, you know, whether, what direction you might even want to go in. That's very true. And it's it's also important to recognize, too, that um, like in, in the state of Mass, for example, because we're, we're both, we're both Mass boys, yep. um, <clears throat> for the most part, they don't really see reptiles as animals. No. They're this like just whatever kind of thing. Um, there are very, very few regulations that um, kind of surround reptiles. Of course, there's like restricted species like crocodilians and venomous and retics and blah, blah, blah. And some of that I think is BS. And, um, you know, but I will say Mass is one of the few states, and, and I will credit a lot of this to the New England Herpetological Society and the relationship that they built with fish and game. Mass is one of the few states in the country that uh, lessened certain species restrictions yes like years ago when they chameleons used to require permits and green trees used to require permits and stuff and uh that's no longer the case um you know so if you create that network with your uh fish and wildlife service or whatever especially if they do have any input in your area with reptiles you're like hey listen like you know let's open up some dialogue on this you make friends essentially Um, you know, a, a lot of times that, that is very helpful because most of these people, just like you're saying, there's like, Oh, snake, why do you, why do you want that? No, yep. no, go ahead, go ahead, get out of here. Yep. We don't want that. Um, you know, and most of the time it's because they saw a show on animal planet, you know, and they got freaked out because they, they heard, Anaconda. yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, you know, so they don't understand they don't know anything about it and nor do they really want to yeah. be bothered. Um, but if you kind of put yourself in that situation, you know, like I know, I, and even, I remember even hearing this in, at the main hearings, <clears throat> you know, like a lot of the fish and game officers and stuff that, 
you know, training on exotic reptiles. It doesn't happen. There is nothing. You know, and if there is something, it's like, this is a ball python. This is a corn snake. You should be able to ID these. Yeah. You know, but anything past that is non-existent. Um, You know, so there were like these EPOs basically saying like, well, I know who they are because I go to them if I have to confiscate something that I can't ID. Sometimes it's even a native species that they can't ID, you know, and you're like... Man, you know, that was one of the things that with that main hearing, like, blew me away. I'm like, you want to add all these other species onto this restricted list? I'm hearing that your EPOs can't even ID a black rat snake. Yeah, like, what the hell, dude? can't even do milk snakes. You know? They're like, I don't know. I got to look up in this book. Yeah, let me get my field guide from Oof. 1999. Oof. Yeah, and my Nature Valley granola bar to crunch on the side. Like, yeah. whew. <laughs> Too far? <laughs> <laughs> I have some very sensitive feelings around them. It was it was not good. Yeah. Uh, but that's one of the things. I moved from Massachusetts to Maine, and I had a decent collection of snakes and a decent collection of tarantulas. And almost all, well, when, when I lived there, all tarantulas were illegal in Maine. So I couldn't bring my 50 tarantulas that I had. I had to leave them with a friend in Massachusetts and pay them to, to like, you know, he was actually really good. He said he didn't have to pay him. But, you know, I would have had to pay somebody to take care of, of these animals while I tried to get permits. And I was working with the state at the time and I was going to all the meetings with the Inland Fishers and Wildlife. I was talking to their, uh, you know, their game wardens and all this stuff. And I applied for permits. They knew I'm not some Yahoo. I was working with them on a monthly basis. You know, all this stuff. I sent them like $400 in permits and they still denied me permits for all these things that I legally owned in Massachusetts that I just wanted to legally keep in Maine. So that's something that you really do have to consider. If you are not in a permanent spot, if you don't own a home and plan on living there the rest of your life, uh, definitely something to consider, you know, looking around and seeing what the other regulations are around in the states or or places where you're interested in going. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of places, it's very strict, especially here in New England. I mean, around the country, it might be a little bit different. But, you know, New England in particular is very, very strict on what you can and cannot own. And then there's Pennsylvania who's like, everything. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, as long as it's not native, do whatever you want. Yep. And then, you know, and I mean, then there's states like the Carolinas that are that there's really no overarching state regulations. It's all county county based. And you can literally be in one county where there's a restriction on every exotic animal. And then the next county over, you know, literally might be five minutes down the road. No regs at all. Nothing. You can own an alligator. You can own a crocodile. You can own a king cobra. You can own a ball python, whatever, you know. So the more research you you do, the, the better. Um Somebody somebody had asked um, something, and I, I missed it. Well, I mean, that's one thing that you definitely have to – and then if you ever do consider moving, moving a small collection in comparison to moving a large collection is completely different. Me and Jeremy were talking about this the other day when he was talking about moving his animal. He's like, oh, you know, I've got a hundred and some odd snakes. How many pillowcases do I own? Because <laughs> you might have to go and buy out every pillowcase at Walmart or, or you know, yes. wherever your local place is that would carry such a thing. You might have, if you find yourself having to move short notice, you know, and you don't have a hundred pillowcases to handle all your reptiles or a hundred moving containers to put your reptiles in, that is a problem. It's yeah. a very swift problem that you'll have to deal with and then things like power outages in new england or in the northern part of the country if uh, your power goes out what is your plan if you've got a large collection or do you have a backup generator to heat the room do you mm-hmm. have um you know a, a back you got to have a backup plan because if you get caught with your pants around your ankles when the power goes out in the middle of a snowstorm that's not good. Yep. Super, super not good. And then I even think about down south when they have hurricanes and everything. If they lose their power or if, if their water levels start to rise and they have to evacuate, what is your plan? If you've got a large collection of reptiles, you have to take those things into consideration. You have to. Uh, you know, it, it sucks to think about if everything goes wrong, but you have to be prepared if something goes wrong. I saw that um, one of the companies overseas ddi mm-hmm. they had a huge fire yesterday and oh, it like man. burned their whole reptile room and it's like oh man it's something horrible that you don't ever want to think about but it has to be on your radar if you're thinking about mm-hmm. having 
a whole room full of reptiles, you have to have safeguards set up so that if some heating element goes off or, or you know, some way to handle it if things start to go bad. Because if you've got one tank and your light goes off, I mean, yeah, one light could potentially set a house on fire. But if you've got 300 lights and you've got heat tape on this entire wall and you've got bins yep. and thermostats and all this stuff, it's statistically more likely to happen uh, as opposed to if you've got a couple animals and everything. And I was thinking about it like when I'm when I move, I want to set up a, you know, some sort of like ring camera or something for my reptile room yeah. so I can constantly have an eye going Check on it, in yes. there to keep an eye on what's <clears> going <throat> on inside that room. Because, you know, heaven forbid something happens, you want to be able to get on top of it as soon as possible. Yeah. As soon as possible. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Jessica has been asking a lot of really great questions. She just asked another one. Speaking of backups, how many uh, redundancies does Nerd have? Um, and if we, if we can elaborate a little bit. Um, so, I mean, Nerd has um, some massive generator power. They could power um, like a city block for uh, a few days. Yeah. At least. Um, so that's that's like the, the, go, the immediate go-to. Um, but, you know, I mean, then there's also... Um, we have a bunch of various kinds of thermostats throughout the the building um and uh we've been slowly making a switch over to one in particular um and the primary reason for that has been uh if it fails for whatever reason it fails in the off position yes um and that's a massive one and it's actually interesting that more of the uh thermostats in the industry don't, don't do, that. do that they just set off um, an alarm or something, which is cool, but unless that's like connected to your phone or something, uh, and if you're not home, <clears throat> then you don't know that there's anything going on. Mm -hmm. Um, so we've, uh, we've been really liking those. I switched over most of my thermostats to, to those as well. Um, just for that reason, if it fails, it's just going to shut off. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to deal with reptiles that have gotten a little too cold than reptiles that have now been cooked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, so that's, that's a big thing to take into consideration. Um, you know, and again, not to, I'm, I'm trying to avoid naming any particular brands just because I don't want to dig at anybody or any particular brand. Um, cause that's not the purpose of what I'm saying, but um, you know, those, those are things you want to kind of have in the back of your mind is like, okay, if, if this thermostat fails, what is, what's the built in redundancy yeah. for it? You know, and how some, is it going to protect my, my animals? Yeah. And some people <clears throat> will set up a uh, backup thermostat. So they'll hook their thermostat into another thermostat as like a, a quick backup. Yeah. But if you're thinking, looking at like any of the Herbstat thermostats, they're like a hundred and some odd dollars. So a to piece, have yeah. a $200 backup thing, you know, it might save you, you know, thousands of dollars in animals and all that sort of stuff and mm -hmm. care and everything. Um, but a lot of people are not willing to put that upfront cost uh, to have that thing going. Yeah. So it just, it is what it is, you know, when it comes to that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? And that's, <clears throat> that's another thing to just think about with a larger collection versus a smaller collection is, um, if you've got a large collection, right, you've got multiple racks, <clears throat> especially, especially if you're doing like freedom breeder racks or just anything that's a larger rack unit. Um, and you have multiples of those and you're moving those, <clears throat> you need to be aware of your thermostat probes. Um, when you're jostling cords around, making sure you're not knocking um, plugs out of sockets and stuff where you can either have a thermostat end up being totally shut off or if a probe gets pulled off of um, some heat tape, now it's just going to cook yeah. whatever is there. Um, you know, and that's, um, I think that's a problem a fair bit of people have probably experienced at one point or another because it's, it's really easy for uh, a probe to get yanked out or... Um, you know, a tape, if you're going to tape your probe somewhere, the tape just fails off, after yeah. a long period of time or it gets loose enough where the probe can Comes just out. slide right out. Um, and then next thing you know, you have a, a cooked rack of snakes. Um, it's happened to me in the past. Um, one of my old carpet python racks, I had, uh, I had moved a bin incorrectly into the rack and it actually knocked the probe off, yeah. off and I didn't know it until the next day mm. and I walked past this rack and I just felt this heat. blast yeah. of heat and I was like what the heck and yeah. basically lost all but two snakes in that whole rack and I was like I was devastated yeah. um, 
you know, but I mean, it's just, you have to be aware of those things. And, you know, regardless of if you have a, a large collection or a small collection, you want to be aware of these things. But um, it's potentially a little bit more possible to happen to you if you've got a lot of racks, especially if you move racks or anything like that in your room, if you're going to rearrange something. You know, it's a lot easier to deal with, like, um, a Reptile Basics rack that you can basically just pick up by yourself, yeah. move to wherever it needs to go, and then you're done, versus, like, a 30-plus slot Freedom Breeder that you need somebody else's help to pull away oh, from the wall yeah. and then wheel wherever it's got to go and make sure you unplug everything, all that stuff. Yeah, it's definitely... Uh, tougher. The larger scale you go, the more things can go wrong, uh, and that's something you definitely have to think about. Uh, you know, on every single level, when it comes to feeding, when it comes to heating, when it comes to your, you know, your heating bill, your your yep. electricity bill is going to be higher if you've got a ton of snakes uh, or or reptiles in general, especially if you got bearded dragons and stuff like Oof. that. I can't even imagine. I feel people sorry do for like you, bro. A ton of bearded dragons. No. I'm like, oh my goodness, your no, lighting no. bill must be absurd. <laughs> I think about all the hundred watt bulbs that are. <laughs> just, oh no, stresses me out. Nope. Um, First of the upfront cost for all those lights, yeah, and then the electric bill on top of it, yeah. And it's like, oh, oof, oof. sorry, bro. Yeah, <laughs> I it's and it varies because like I mean, people down south have it a little bit easier because I know a lot of people who live on the southern part of the country. They can do outdoor enclosures for a lot of their stuff, so they don't have to do as much. But for people in the northern part of the country, you know, your heating bill and your lighting bill is going to be significantly higher than your average person if you've got a decent number of reptiles. If you've got a couple of reptiles, it might not be that different. But when you've got 50, 100 different reptiles, you'll see a huge difference in your electric bill. Um, and back in the day, that used to be one of the things where, like, I, I know that we had the electrical company show up at our door, and they're like, are you guys doing illegal things here, like growing weed? And we're like, no, we've got... A lot of reptiles here. And then the guy comes in, he's like, reptiles? They're like, yeah, come on, we'll give you the tour. Show them around. That's a snake. And you're like, yeah, I know. Which is also a reptile. Do you believe it or not? <laughs> believe it or not. Fun fact. Yeah, until they get to the tarantulas and they're like, nope, that's nope, where I'm, I'm done. Out. And they take off and leave. <clears throat> so it, it is what it is, yeah. Yep. But if you've got a couple reptiles, it's not going to be as big of a commitment for money. It's not going to be as big a commitment for time. Uh, you can definitely do uh, a little bit, you know, more when it comes to care if you've got a couple animals. Um, unless you've got, like, an absorbent amount of free time and you've got a ton <laughs> of animals, then you can do whatever you whatever want. Whatever you want. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you just are independently wealthy, uh, you know. I, <coughs> I envy that. Yeah, you should hire me to yeah. take care of your reptiles. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> um, so Black Tie Royals uh, just uh, – dropped a comment in here that's another good good part of this topic too disease control becomes a much larger issue on a larger scale yep. i know two people who recently had nido hit their collections and they ended up spending a couple of grand on testing for everything so certainly yeah exactly <laughs> Just wait. so certainly uh biosecurity and and maintaining um a, a, as close to sterile environment as possible is is helpful um but also let's be real we're dealing with living creatures that poop and pee mm -hmm. and bite and all these things so it's it's damn near impossible to be lab grade sterile and clean um, but you can certainly take the the right precautions as far as disinfectants and and being able to uh, clean tools after you're using them um, you know especially with things like you know nidovirus is certainly still a hot button issue uh, in the industry and um, it's it's <laughs> It's frustrating to me just because we still know so little about it. Yeah. Um, you know, so all the all the tests, like not to frighten anybody, but all the testing that's that's being done, there there's new new things are popping up all the time. So the um, primers get changed often as mm -hmm. they find new species or new strains. Um, so unless you are consistently testing your entire collection, uh, you will never be able to say for sure that you have a NIDO negative collection or, or whatever. Um, and then there's, of course, also the instance where if an animal is not shedding enough virus 
uh, material to be picked up on a PCR test, you get a false negative. Um, and, you know, it might consistently test negative until some stressor makes it blow up uh, and then it tests positive. So, uh, nidovirus is really one of those, like, wild cards when it comes to that. And it's primarily just because it's so new, um, you know, and it's probably the, the biggest thing that's frustrating to me about that is everybody's so willing to point the finger and it's like they don't know yet we nobody knows <laughs> we don't nobody, know yet. like nobody has all the answers for it so yeah. it doesn't make any sense um you know and, and of course not saying that to downplay anything we've certainly talked we should probably try to get steve to back, back on, on the, the show, podcast um for some uh for some updates some mm-hmm. nido updates and and other updates from him um but, you know, learning what I've learned over the last year or so from him and, and everybody else, either at UF or, or Fishhead, um, about nidoviruses, it, it really just makes you think and realize, okay, well, we should just be doing more on the biosecurity front as keepers, you know, be it, you know, wearing gloves in between working with snakes um, or just um, just being conscious. You know, you use a, a hook on a snake dunk that hook in a bleach sink or, or something before or something. you go, your clahexidine or something before you go to the next snake. Um, you know, if you are using a, a, a table to put your bins on, if your snake's on that table, just do a quick wipe down mm-hmm. of some disinfectant before you go to the next snake. You know, things that we often don't bother thinking about just because we're like, oh, I just got to get this done. I got a lot of stuff. You know, you get into a rhythm of it. But if you start to implement these things into your, uh, rhythm, then it just becomes second nature yeah. again. Um, you know, so not to go down a NIDO tangent, but it is important. Um, yeah, I, I think we should try to, I'll, I'll send a message to Steve and see if we can get him on in the next couple of weeks. Um, There's been some huge developments in NIDO virus that are literally going to make every single one of you, I mean, if you're paying attention, if you're, you know, understanding what it's about, it's going to make you very concerned. Like, yeah, and <laughs> just, it's <clears throat> and it is what it is. Like the it, it it may have a very heavy impact, or it could be something more benign. It's like nidovirus. Just because something tests positive for a nidovirus doesn't mean that the animal's going to die. It doesn't mean that it's one hundred percent going to get sick. Like right. there's so many different variables when it comes to that, and that's something that we're just really learning about right now. So the more information that comes out about that as we go. Uh, the more that that's going to evolve. And I think the reptile hobby is, is in for, you know, some eye-opening experiences when it comes to that. There's over 100 different strains of nidovirus that they've confirmed. It's probably closer to 200 now because when we talked to them in February, they were like, yeah, it's over 100 strains now. Yeah. Um, and we're finding new ones every week. Like, we're finding, like, three to five new strains every week. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and that's that's what frustrated me like hearing that because it's uh it's like man, um hi Dan. Um, <laughs> uh you know, we ju- we don't know enough. Yeah. You know, so for everybody to just be jumping the gun and being like these people have this is absolutely terrible and unacceptable and blah blah blah. blah. You know, to to then basically learn like, well, if you've got more than 10 snakes, you probably have you probably at have least one strain at least of one, Yeah, exactly. In your um, you know, and that that made a lot of people shut up real fast. I don't know. I still hear a lot um, of them talking, so. <laughs> well, no, I mean, of course the people are still going to talk, but it, it it stopped a bit of the finger, finger pointing, pointing. Yeah. and made there be a little bit more like, wait, what'd you say? Yeah. You know, and I, and I think that's what needed to happen because for so long it was just it's gonna like be pandemonium. A, yeah. It's you, you terrible person, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know if, uh, if I would have, if I would do a live stream with Steve only because there would be a million questions that would get, get plagued, especially with the, the information that he would be, dropping so i think what uh what we can do is if we plan for it i'll post uh a, a story um here on the on the reptile with talk instagram with a question thing yeah. and then we'll just we'll take everybody's questions and then we can just kind of ask him um just so we can keep it a little bit more controlled and people's questions don't get lost or we can do it on mix. our only fans and the people who are supporting us then they can ask the questions also true yeah. i like that yeah more we might do that <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, I mean, it, all those things 
are going to play a role in you know if you're making a conscious decision of whether or not you want a large collection or a small collection you know biosecurity is a huge thing that plays a, a factor mm-hmm. you know how much money you're spending how much time you're spending all plays a huge role in uh, whether or not you're going to want to do that and i see a lot of people who think that they want to get a big collection and then they get a big collection and they're like this is too much for me i need to you know cut back i need to cut, yeah. cut down and there's nothing really wrong with that, um, but I do encourage people to really put some heavy thought into if they want that bigger collection and to invest that amount of time uh, before you do it. Because mm-hmm. these are living animals, and you don't want to just like get something in, you know, have a bunch of stuff shipped into you and get all these racks and all this stuff, and then you, know, you find out, oh, well, I don't have any time to for spend. for me, yeah. Yeah, and you just, you know, have to get rid of it all. It's, it's not worth it to do that. I usually encourage people if they're going to head towards a larger collection to slowly build your way up from mm-hmm. a smaller collection so you can kind of take it in steps as opposed to just jumping into the deep end. Because, you know, uh, not being able to find feeders, like uh, notoriously, ball python breeding time nationwide, you cannot find medium rats because that's what size adult ball pythons eat. <laughs> so if you keep any other species that eats that size rat, <laughs> you're screwed. Yeah. Around ball <laughs> Python breeding time, you will not find medium rats, frozen thawed or otherwise for the most part. Yep. Um, during hatching season, <laughs> you will not find sp- hopper mice, hopper mice and small adult mice. You will not be able to get them. Nope. Rodent places are going to up their prices on them and you're going to pay out the nose to get them. And that is something that if you've got a couple animals, you might notice that sort of thing. But if you've got a hundred snakes and 30 of them eat medium sized rats, and now it's your breeding season and you can't get medium sized rats, <laughs> that is a bad thing. It's yeah. not good. And if you've only got a couple snakes, that's not something that you would ever think of. But if you've got a big collection of snakes, that's something you constantly have to be planning for. I, I would go to the expos and I would just have a couple hundred dollars just for feeders. Just, like yes. when I was living at home, I was like, dude, I would just show up with, you know, a hundred dollars to maybe buy a steak and then like three hundred dollars for, for rodents. So I could fill up my freezer and Do you remember do you remember in uh, in the White Plains show, as soon as you walked in, there's that guy right to the right. Yes. I remember I basically bought him out like yep. right at the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. I had a buddy of mine connected me with him so I could get a little bit of a better deal. Yep. But, you know, I, I was like, what do you got for this size, this size, this size, and this size? And he was like, oh, I have X number of this, X number of that, X number of that. I was like, cool, I'll take it all. And he was like, what? Yep. This is like beginning of the show. First thing. Yeah. And and, uh, and I and was like, I, I know you're going to gonna sell out. And man. I was like, hey, do you have these sizes? He's like, no, I'm already sold out, bro. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's probably me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It was either him or Komodo. And I think for that show, he had slightly better prices. And yeah. I, I was like, well... Yeah, dude, I that is something that I I didn't anticipate when I was getting a bunch of snakes was yeah. how much space I needed for frozen feeder because I was feeding everything frozen thawed. The amount like my parents were so pissed when I was living at home because they were like, "You've taken over our freezer in the house, and we yeah. cannot let guests open the freezer and see a giant trash bag full of rats. You need to buy your own freezer." So, oh, see, my favorite part of that was I'd put the rodents right on the door of the freezer and just tell somebody <laughs> to go grab ice for their drink. No, <laughs> my parents they would lose their crap. So. My parents were like, you got to get a freezer. So I went on Craigslist when I was like, what, 18, 20 years old. I went to some sketchy basement in Boston (laughs) and picked up this chest freezer. This guy was selling for 50 bucks. And oh, my God, I'm surprised I didn't get murdered. But but after I got that chest freezer, it was great because when I bought my, you know, $300 worth of rats, plugged them down in the chest freezer. And then my mom was like, oh extra freezer let me put the ice cream on top and i was like listen here you told me to get the freezer it's my freezer yep she still has that freezer does she (laughs) (laughs) oh man uh let's see uh becky d 56 uh just threw another another important thing in there in addition to the time commitment to care for for the reptiles people need to remember that snakes can definitely live for a long time it's not a hamster that lives no. for three to five years. No, it's a 20 you know. plus year commitment. And then also you got to think about how you're going to house these animals when they get bigger. Yep. The one that really like Grind your boggles gears. my mind and grinds my gears is people who get like a ton of reticulated pythons. And uh. I'm like, where are you going to put all these giant snakes? Like, I don't understand. Like if you've got like 
five reticulated pythons. That is this size room right here. Yeah. Stacked. Gone. Yeah, gone. It's gone. <laughs> That's it. There's yep. nothing else you can put in that room. That's it. Just those snakes. Yep. And then I see people who have got like 30 reticulated pythons. I'm like, what are you... Do you have a... A full basement for these snakes? Do you, are you planning on just keeping them in, like, four-foot enclosures and hoping for the best? Like, what is your plan? Because if you've got a ton of reticulated pythons, that is a huge commitment of space, time, money. money. The The enclosures themselves are probably going to cost you $1,000 each. Yep. Minimum for your adults. You're, you're just throwing that around for... 15, 20, 30 reticulated pythons? Cool, bro. Nah, man. I mean, that's something <laughs> you have to think got about. It. I mean, if you got that kind of money, hey, ball out. Yeah, if you got it. Go, boo-boo. You do you. But, like, for the average person to think about, you know, making eight or ten foot enclosures by four foot by two foot or whatever, <laughs> you yeah. know, to, yeah, yeah, to yeah. adequately house an adult reticulated python, that's a lot of money. And they're like, yeah, but it's like a $100 reticulated python. I'm like, I understand that. But it's going to go in a probably $100 setup for now. And then a $300 four-foot cage. And then a $700 six-foot cage. Yep. And then a $900 bigger, like, final cage. Yeah. That's how much money. That's what, five grand, four grand off your $100 reticulated python? Because yep. you're thinking, oh, the snake itself is not that expensive. You have to think long term where that animal's yeah. going to go. Like it's it's one thing to have a bunch of baby snakes and oh cool, I've got you know thirty Borneo shirtail pythons. Where are you putting thirty adult Borneo shirtail pythons? <laughs> I'm asking myself that question right Le- now. I'm legit. not posing that for the audience. <laughs> legit. Um, somebody just I totally just like exited out. Ugh. Um, so. ABG reptiles. Okay, I wanted to make sure I got to that question because I think it's a good one. Uh, said, so at what point do you feel that breeding rodents would be worth the time slash money investment? Um, I, I think if it, once you kind of start getting around that, I'll say twenty to thirty snake mark, uh, maybe if, especially if you're thinking of breeding. Yeah, if you're might... breeding thirty snakes, I would say if you're, I mean, who's keeping fifty snakes and not breeding them? But like yeah. honestly, I my cutoff would probably be fifty because yeah. like thirty or forty, if you have a decent job, you can afford to pay pay to get your rodents That's i know, fair. I yeah, know yeah, people yeah. who have like 30 snakes and they buy all their feeders and i'm like wow you're crazy but um, <laughs> you know, but um you know for the average person it's a lot of like the rodents are more work than the actual reptiles themselves like the snakes themselves so, yeah like, yeah yeah that's another time commitment right. for your big collection time commitment like yeah i mean if you if you can the most important thing when it comes to that, I mean, this kind of dabbles into um, going past thinking about just keeping reptiles for the sake of keeping reptiles and thinking with a little bit more business savviness yes. uh, to your to your thought process. Um, you know, you want to look at your time commitment just for dealing with the reptiles. You can assume it's going to be two or three times the amount of time to deal with rodents because mm-hmm. you know i'm going to assume if you're going to get like one rack of rodents you're not going to have another rack of rodents to just transfer things around when things need to be cleaned and whatever so you've got to be able to take rats out put them in somewhere so you can clean a bin sometimes those bins get really gross do that you know whatever um so there's a little bit more that goes into that and then thinking about financially okay if it costs you um let's just say 500 bucks every two months yeah. to feed all of your snakes. Okay, so 250 bucks a month to feed all of your snakes. Now look at what does it cost per month to get bedding and food for, uh, those, for, the, for those rodents. You know, let's say maybe it's 120 bucks. Yeah. Okay, so for 120 bucks a month, now you can essentially feed your, whole your collection. Yeah. So it'll save you a little bit of money. Um, your time. But then your time commitment <laughs> is, is then what needs to go every into it because every day you day. need to be checking stuff for, you know, potential chew outs or, or anything like that. Water and then lines and what, food. Yeah, making sure that everything's got water, all that stuff. So there's a lot more that, uh, that goes into it, you know. And if you're thinking larger scale for rodents, uh, it, it becomes – that becomes a full-time job very quickly. Um, you know, just thinking – you know, I think about if I was to start breeding rodents – I'd have to add a mi- I'd want to also be able to sell 
yeah. rooms so that I can make some money off of what I'm doing. So I need to be able to feed 150 snakes every week for the most part um, and then produce enough to sell. So let's say I'd want to have 300 rodents a Adults week. Minimum. You know, yeah. Um, so I've got I've got to be able to have enough animals to produce what I need for my and own collection sell. and sell. But I've also got to figure out, okay, well, am I going to only sell frozen feeders? Big so am I going to, you know, euthanize large amounts of rodents? Then I need big freezers. Yep. That takes up space and is not cheap. Um, you know, and if I'm not going to do frozen feeders... Am I going to have space for all the potential surplus? You know, you, you might not sell everything you produce right away. So do I have space for all that? Then you've got to take care of all that. You've got to feed all that and clean all that. So you really do need to break things down into numbers. Um, you know, as much as uh, for some reason the industry, like, hates to do that. Yeah. Especially when you're, like, teetering on that level of, like, I have enough snakes. You know, I, I'm making some money off of this, but, like, I don't want to think about it as a business. Well... Yeah. Sorry, bucko. <laughs> you know, you have to, you know. Um, and if you start breeding rodents on a large enough scale, then you, you might want to ask yourself, okay, well, do I still do Am I doing this in the basement of my house? No. Um, no, you're probably going to want to do this. Do right. In a shed. You're probably going to do this in a shed on your building. So then you've got to think about electricity going to another building so you can keep that temperature consistent. You can vent it out. You know, like so many other things go into it. Um, you know, if you have one rack of rodents, you could probably maintain that in a room of your house with, with no big deal. Um, but if you're trying to do multiple racks of rodents of various sizes, you need to think about that a lot. Um, so it really comes down to uh, what you're working with, what you're willing to spend, what and what your time commitment availability is for when sure. you're doing that. For sure. And for, honestly, if, if you're thinking about doing rodents, I mean, you can do, you know, part part and part and you know buy some of your rodents and breed some of your rodents mm -hmm. depending on what your your area looks like uh i find that if you're breeding snakes you probably are going to want to breed or rodents as well so that you've got all the little sizes that you might need and you yeah. know that one picky feeder that wants to have a live pinky mouse or you know whatever for a baby corn snake or a, you know a live hopper mouse for a little short tail or ball python uh you know to be able to have that option for your babies is huge because it could be the difference between getting an animal started and not getting an animal started. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so if you're thinking about breeding, I think it's a huge thing to consider and, and I encourage people to get those live rodents going. But if you are not doing it as breeding, eh, who really cares? Yeah. Most of the time you can get your animals over to frozen thought. Yep, exactly. And then, you know, if you talk about uh, f like people like Frams Cams who do the chameleons and they are breeding a ton of different feeders over there and they're, mm -hmm. they're really into it. And that's saving them so much money because if you're buying, I mean, buying a thousand count of crickets is not uh, an absorbent amount of money on a regular basis. But if you're doing a thousand count of dubia roaches or a, you know, a hundred count of super worms or that sort of stuff, that adds up Fast. super quickly yeah. for, you know, leopard geckos and bearded dragons and, you know, any other type of reptile that you might have. Uh, insect costs can really add up. Dubia roaches are worth their weight in gold pretty mm -hmm. much. Uh, and it's ridiculous, but <laughs> I, uh, the more that you really look into the, that cost analysis, it really can determine for you whether or not you're willing to make that commitment for a larger collection or whether you'd like to keep it on a smaller scale. Yeah. Just the numbers. It's true. You, you, you really do have to think about the numbers yeah. when it, when it comes to small scale versus large scale reptile keeping. Um, cause there's so much that, that goes into it. Um, I know, and we'll probably go over our hour time. Obviously I'm not getting cut off on Instagram, so that's awesome. Um, but uh, one of the things to, to, again, think about is, like, what, when you're thinking about kind of growing your collection, you're thinking about time. And uh, the other thing you want to think about, too, is, you know, like, I've talked about this on the podcast before. When I was 18, going to Brian Barchek's place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I was growing up, 
all I wanted to be was a big scale reptile breeder. Yeah. Like that was like my my dream. I was like, this is what's happening. Sorry, mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm not gonna go to be a doctor. Uh, yeah, you're an OnlyFans you know. now. Yeah, yeah. I have an OnlyFans. <laughs> Sorry, mom. mom. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I was like. This is it. This is it. You know, and I, cause I can remember like coming up to nerd, mm -hmm. you come up for a day and you see all these super cool animals and blah, blah, blah. And you hang out and you do whatever. And it's like, man, this is awesome. This is the greatest thing in the world. And then going to bar checks place and seeing the, the daily grind. I was, I was there for a week for anybody that hasn't heard the story. I went out there for a week and it, it wasn't to just hang out. It was to get the, like, I wanted the full experience. And uh, it was my graduation gift from my, my mom, which was honestly at that point in time the greatest thing in the freaking world mm -hmm. to me. Um, but a uh, hey, random shout out to the Herb Culture magazine. I'm rocking their shirt right hey. now. Um, so, uh, yeah, so going to Barcheck, seeing that daily grind in and out, uh, I was like, ooh. This okay. is a lot. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a little bit more to this. Um, and, uh, I think the biggest thing that was a deterrent for me wasn't necessarily the sheer amount of snakes. You throw me in a room with 10,000 snakes. I'm in heaven I, regardless. Yeah, that, you yeah. know what I mean? Like that's the easy part, but dealing with staff, yep. you know, uh, that's always, always a headache. You know, I think, I feel like it's safe to say most people in the reptile industry are not necessarily people, people, no. <laughs> um, you know, they'd much rather just deal with their snakes and that's, that's pretty much it. Um, so dealing with staff and then a large staff at that, um, I was like, you know, and if one staff member suddenly becomes a problem and then you need to get rid of them and dealing with that, that's not wonderful. And finding um, replacements and all that stuff. Finding replacements, exactly. You know, and it, like that's a little easier if you've just got like corn snakes and ball pythons. But if you've got a vast array of species, you know, from corn snakes to retics, you know, you can't just find any Joe Schmo off the side of the street and be like, Hey, here's 150 retics. Have fun with that. Yeah. Like that just doesn't, doesn't work. Yeah. Um, you know, so you have to think about that. The other thing for me that kind of plugged it into my brain at, at kind of where I want to get with my collection is I don't want to be responsible for somebody's paycheck. Yeah. You know what I mean? If I, if I, especially knowing the industry after almost 20 years of doing shows and being out talking to people, you know, knowing Kevin and, and bar check and like all these people like hearing some of the massive triumphs of income and then hearing the detrimental, like I want to go cry for a week, yeah. you know, financial things like I, I don't want to have to deal with that for myself already, but I'm, I want to make that commitment because I am comfortable with that. But as soon as I throw somebody else into the mix, I'm no longer comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I know that this industry moves in waves and has its ups and downs. And if I'm struggling, I don't want to be the reason somebody else has to struggle. So that's, that was where I was like, okay, if I can't maintain the collection by myself, that's too big. Then it's, it's too big, you know? And it's like, yeah, sure. If somebody hits me up and be like, hey, you need help? You know, I'll come by once a week and help you go through waters and stuff. Cool, man. Yeah, I'll throw you a hundred bucks. Yep. You know, come help me. That's, you know, that's that's fine. that's fine. But if literally if I can't get through a week of work in my reptile collection uh, without being like, oh, my God, or falling ridiculously behind, then Too I'm out. Yeah. Yep, I got to downsize. Yeah. Um, so, Jeremy, we're actually winding down our time here. We are. On, on the actual podcast. People in the live stream are still still hanging out. Yeah. But um, uh, I'm going to flip the script here a little bit. And I'm going to say, uh, what in the realm of reptiles right now has got you excited no! about reptiles? Yes. Not yes. the question. The question. Oh! Because there's so many cool things that I've been seeing on, like, social media oh! and stuff. And then, like, all the stuff that we're doing and everything. But oh! I, already, I already know what your answer is. What is my answer? Next man. Oh, that certainly does have me very excited <laughs> yeah. about reptiles. Uh, that actually wasn't what I was going to say, though. Really? Although I am very excited about my <laughs> Mexmex project. Um, I forgot who posted it now, and it's because you asked me the question. I know. Uh, somebody I just saw hatched out a massive clutch of Melendorfi. Yeah, it's Zirkle. Zirkle it's Zirkle. Yes, yes, that's right. And I was like, I was losing it. If you, don't, if you guys don't know who uh, the, the Zirkles Zirkle are... Yeah. Uh, you gotta find. They work with some of the more obscure rat snake species. Just 
colubrid species in general. Check them out on Instagram. Zirkle check reptiles. them out. Yes. You search check them, search out. them and they'll come up. Yes. Um, they are abs- They have some amazing animals. But I saw this big clutch of Melendorphi and I was like, oh, it's so mm. cool. Yes. Um, so that has me super geeked. Uh, certainly my Mexmex project uh, has me very excited. Mexmex king snakes. Some mm. nice ones. Mm. Some really nice ones. Mm. Um, all right. Mr. What? Dude Guy. No, no, no. I asked you. No. Oh, You'll ask me I next can't, time. I can't ask you? <laughs> you can ask me. No. Okay. What in the realm of reptile has <sighs> you excited about reptiles? Uh, I actually wasn't prepared for this. That's so. right. <laughs> yeah. Those Melodorphi were, were cool Pretty as shit. Pretty cool. That was yeah. my answer, though. Um, also, oh, you know what really got me pumped, and it's not reptile related, really? Um, Trace Harden had some uh, Poclotheria, a uh, Poclotheria egg sac, an ornamental... Tarantula I sack, and I was like, "Oh my god, I, those are my favorite kind of tarantulas!" So I was just like super geeked about that, and uh, I was like, "Oh man, I need to get some more of those." Yeah, those things are awesome, and they're they're just so cool. And he all these little babies inside the enclosure, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, that's so exciting!" <laughs> so it's not really reptile related. And then he just upgraded his Kaiser newts too, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's, that's cool, freaking cool!" So I'll say that that was my. My thing. So, Jeremy, if people yes. want to find out more about you and the things that you're doing, where are they going to find you? All right. You can find me here on Instagram at Brassman Reptiles, Facebook at Brassman Reptiles, YouTube at Brassman Reptiles, uh, Patreon at Brassman Reptiles, uh, Twitter at Brassman Rep. And I think that's it. How about you, Rob? Uh, if people want to find me and the stuff that I'm doing, check me out on Instagram at Rob is Creeping at Real, on Twitter sometimes at Rob is Creeping. Don't add me on Facebook. And make sure that you follow Reptile Talk on Instagram. Bam. And uh, make sure you check out our OnlyFans because we are going to be offering kind of like behind the scenes, like exclusive content for people who follow us on OnlyFans. We're going to be sending you free stickers. Well, if you sign up for a month, we will send you stickers for Reptile Talk uh, for everyone who signs up. And we're going to be posting some of our breeding projects and all that sort of stuff that we won't be sharing on Instagram and other places. So make sure you check us out and we'll see you next time. Thank you.